0: We will, uh, we'll find, find our way eventually to Matthew chapter 16 if you want to go there, and uh, we'll start there. But we're going to cover a number of passages <clears throat> uh, this evening in uh, talking about uh, our commission from God. That last song was really high. My voice felt it. As, uh, as we've been talking about and we've been thinking about evangelism, our outreach, our mission given to us by God, and what we as believers are supposed to be about and what we are supposed to be doing. I've really been challenged through reading a number of books, have the privilege over the last month or so to go to two different conferences uh, one by the church, and one I just happened to, when I was out with my dad, he was going to a conference. So I went there and they were talking about disciple making and evangelism. So having that opportunity and just getting a feel and looking and saying, what is, what is happening in the church in America and what is the Bible calling us to? And where are we to be headed as a body of believers? For now, for the next year, for the next five years, for the next ten, the next fifteen, what is Faith Baptist Church? What are we to be about? And as we look at what Christ has said, what Christ has left us with, I really, really want us to just personally take challenge you this evening, take a good heart-to-heart look with the Scriptures, allow it as Paul says to be that mirror that we look at ourselves, and we say, Where am I at? How am I doing? We're going to cover a number of passages tonight. I'm going to rely a lot of it on your familiarity. Looking across the auditorium, uh, knowing your familiarity with the scriptures, we won't go into depth in a lot of those passages. A couple of them will take a little bit more time, but I want to take that opportunity to say, okay, where where are we at? What is happening in our church, in our community, in our uh, local area around Lebanon in regard to evangelism? It's trout season. I'm super excited that it's trout season. Of course, I have not bought my license yet, but it's, it's fishing time. And uh, I came across a, uh, a little parable that I thought was really interesting, and I'll, I'll sort of read it a little bit and give you a little synopsis. It's called the Fisherman's Fellowship or the Fisherman's Club. It said there was a group, of, uh, a group called the Fisherman's Fellowship. They were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call of fish, the thrill of catching fish, and they got excited about fishing. Someone suggested that they they needed to develop a philosophy of fishing. So they carefully defined and redefined fishing and the purpose of fishing. They developed fishing strategies and tactics. Then they realized that they had been going about it all backwards. They had been approaching fishing fishing from the point of the fisherman. So they started to think, well, what does the fish like? What would the fish eat? Where would the fish be at? We should go to where the fish is at. And so they they started to develop and they started to attend conferences and studies and, and going through all these little areas on fishing. In fact, some of those people in the fishing club eventually ended up with PhDs and doctorates in the area of fishing. And they were all excited about they knew how to fish, they knew what fishing had to happen, but nobody had gone fishing. So a committee was formed to figure out how to send out fishermen, A prospective fishing, uh, as prospective fishing places outnumbered fishermen, the committee needed to determine their priorities. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? The priority of listing of of fishing places was posted on all the bulletin boards and all the fellowship halls, but still no one was fishing. So they decided to launch a survey to ask people, "Why, why are you not fishing? Most people didn't answer the survey, but for those that did, they discovered that they didn't feel called to fish. Or they felt that they would buy fishing equipment for others to go fishing, but they didn't want to go. Several felt that they had the the ability to encourage people to go fishing, but they themselves would not go fishing. With all the meetings and conferences that happened, eventually a a gentleman named Jake, a newcomer to the Fisherman's Fellowship, came in and he was excited about what he had heard, and he decided he was going to go out and go fishing. So he went out and went fishing, and he actually caught a fish. And he came back and he told the story of, all, of how he caught the fish and people were excited. And they said, this is great. We caught a fish. And they were, they were so excited that they said, Jake, you need to start telling us how to catch fish and doing this. So Jake started telling people all about his experience and Jake ended up stopping going fishing. And it, it, the parable goes on and they, they said after a while, Jake gets to the point where he's like, wait, all we do is talk about fishing. I want to feel the tug of the fish on the rod. I want to go out and be able to pull that fish in. I want to be able to bring it home and to show people. I want to be able to do that. And he said, so he decided he was going to get a friend, and he went fishing again. And guess what? They caught fish. And the, the parable ends up as they, they wrote it. They said that the members of the Fisherman Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishermen were few. And you have to look and say, wait, As we heard this morning, as we're well aware it's more than just a parable, we heard that the harvest truly is plenteous. But the fishermen, the laborers, they're few. And as we take a heart-to-heart look at ourselves this evening, as I take an introspective look at my life, saying, how am I doing in this area? Am I measuring up to God? You know, I have to ask, when God, when Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. They're ready. Did Jesus get it wrong? Did, did, he, uh, did he say the wrong thing? Is Jesus just honestly crazy? Because it surely doesn't seem like there's a lot of people to get saved. Well, at least sometimes we think that way. Maybe Jesus, you haven't, you haven't been in 21st century America. Do you know how hard it is? How difficult it is? People are secular. They don't like God. They don't like Jesus. They don't like you, Jesus. So, you know, so it's just, it's difficult. And we find ourselves enjoying our holy huddle and not maybe going out into the world to share the gospel. And as I looked through the texts of scripture, I began to be convicted. I just started wondering, okay, what is the state of the American church? It really is a church in decline. The American church is declining statistically. There is absolutely no way around it. Uh, a couple different people, Tom Rainer, D- George Barna, uh, they do research in regard to church growth, church development, ch- uh, church p- polls. 94% of American churches are, effectively, are not effectively evangelizing the lost. 95% of Christians will never lead someone to Christ outside the institution of the church. We might lead somebody to christ at vbs or we might lead somebody to christ at an event that happens here at church but what about you and i personally in our day-to-day lives to our neighbors to our relatives to our friends will we will we do that statistics bear out that we probably won't the majority of church growth in america is considered transfer growth do you know what i mean by transfer growth you come from another church to come to join our church because either we had stuff that was better than better than the other church, or you liked what we offered, so you came here. And so transfer growth is, is just moving from one church to the other. Uh, and that's the majority of growth that's happening in churches and evangelical churches in America. Forty-eight percent of evangelicals uh now believe that Christ is not the only way. It should be now. That's evangelical, broad-based evangelicalism, but they're still getting to the point where half the people say that Jesus isn't the only way. And if we don't have to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then why do we need a witness? Because, hey, if if Buddha's the way, okay, that's fine, they're good. And if Muhammad's the way, that's fine, they're good. If we look and say, well, Christ isn't the only way, then we don't really have to focus in on evangelism because they're all okay. Nearly half of those under the age of 40 believe it's wrong, morally wrong to evangelize. It's not my responsibility to push it onto other people. I need to make sure I'm good, but I don't want to push it on other people. Uh, this is a part of that Barner research. Christians have a responsibility to evangelize. The, that statement, 35 percent of evangelicals believe that they strongly disagree with that statement, that we have a responsibility to evangelize others. Twenty-six percent agree strongly. Hopefully we are going to find ourselves in the majority or in that group, that we would say we agree strongly. But we look at, we look at Americans and the American church, and statistics say that we are a church in decline in America. The attendance, the projected attendance is considered to continually drop. But you have to ask, what about us? I mean, as we, we sit here and we look and we say, well, we're not, we're not like those people. We're, we're good, strong, independent, fundamental Baptists. We're good. We've got this. We know what the Bible teaches. We're not a church in decline, but let's take a statistical fact. Let's look. Our attendance is dropping. There's no way around it. And I understand that I get attendance is not the final end all. The numbers of baptisms we've had over the last year and a half, two years, you can almost count them on one hand other than children that have grown up in the church. People who have been saved from outside come in and gotten baptized. You look at, our, you look at where we are going and statistically, we are dropping. And if we do not change our philosophy, what we are about, our culture here at this church, we're a generation away, at the most, from being cut in half maybe, maybe less. When well, we might get transfer growth, other people coming in. But is that what we are to be about What's going to happen? Grandparents, parents, what are you leaving to your children? A culture, a legacy that says we are about making disciples at Faith Baptist Church. That we are about moving forward and establishing for the future for people to be able to come here and know what Jesus Christ is all about, what he has provided, and what he teaches us in the word of God. We need to be about sharing the gospel. We need to be about seeing other people come to Christ, we can get even more personal. You personally, Pastor Connerman asked it at the mission conference, when's the last time you or I have led somebody personally outside of these walls to Jesus Christ? Or at least have been in the, the honest conversation of intently sharing and intentionally sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. Would you like to be able to share and invest Wouldn't you like to be able to look and say, that person there, that person there, they're here? Because I had the privilege to be used by God, and I'm still being used by God to mentor and disciple that individual. To be able to experience that tugging of the rod, reeling it in, and to want that. Some of you have had that in the past. Don't you want that back? Don't you want to to be actively involved in someone's life, sharing the gospel intently so that they're coming to know who Jesus is more fully and more, more completely? Honestly, we could keep going on that. We could keep giving stats on America, on our church, but I truly believe if we took a genuine, honest look, we all know deep down, it's an area we need to work on. It's something that we need to improve on in the area of replicating, reproducing, making disciples, other Christians, other people who follow. Uh, one gentleman, Tim Potter, Pastor Tim Potter, who we went to a conference with him and uh, had the privilege of talking with him. He said, "It's really interesting. It's not natural for God's created beings plants, animals, humans to, to not reproduce. Why would it be any different for God's new creation, for believers? As believers, we are called to be reproducing. You and I are called. It's not just the church that's called to be reproducing. You and I, as we look through the text of Scripture this evening, we'll see that you and I are called to be reproducing Christians. We are to be making disciples. There have been a lot of strategies that have come through American churches in the last uh, century, decades especially, on how do we grow church? What do we do? And there's some of these are original with me, some are from other people, uh, but they call one is called the Field of Dreams philosophy. If you build it, they will come. So if we have a really nice facility and we have really good programs and if we have really good pastoral staff and we, we have all these things for everybody, then people will come. We have a really nice facility, we have a lot of ministries we have a pretty good pastoral staff. I'm biased. Yes, I know. But we're seeing statistics change. So is it, is it just the field of dreams? Is it the seeker-sensitive model, where we just give them what they want? Where if we, we find out what the, the community wants, and if we provide that for them, that means that they will come. Actually, when I went to Chicago, I'll confess, I went to, intentionally went to uh, a Saturday night service at a secret sensitive church, because I wanted to see what this was all about it's, it's not it 's not for us it 's not for me it is not i don 't I don't believe it 's biblical they They provided anything and everything, and it was an inch deep and a mile wide and i did, i didn 't enjoy it personally. but when does that stop? I mean we could if we gave every single person just sitting in this auditorium what they wanted. This would be mass chaos. We can't we can't provide everything, single thing that everybody wants. We'd end up in lots of different ministries. The comfort model—just water it down, entertain them, enjoy them, and it'll all be good. Just total chill. It's all good. We can do that, but we are coming to worship God. We are about being here and investing in people. The the Fortune 500 model. Make sure our marketing's good. Make sure our advertising's good. If we we need to make sure we have perfect social media presence. If we do all those things, then people will come. We have the hopes and dreams model, which I think at times we can fall into. where We're just trusting in Christ to build our church. That sounds really spiritual. It sounds super spiritual that we're just going to do what we can do, and we're going to hope and we're going to dream. We're going to pray that God will bring the people in. Do we need to be doing that? Absolutely. We need to be praying that God is going to bring people to us and that we can have those opportunities, that we're going to let Christ build his church. But what does the Bible say about church growth? What does the Bible say about us investing in people's lives and evangelizing and and sharing and talking with people? We're in Matthew chapter 16 to start this evening. We're going to look at New Testament passages this evening because we're talking about our church. We're talking about the New Testament church. It is God's program. This is God's program for this age, the local church. Notice, Notice what Jesus says very clearly in this passage. I will build my church. I will build my church. So what, is, what does that all entail? As we talk about it, Christ is the one who builds the church. And we're gonna, we're gonna hit some basic, simple doctrinal truths tonight. But sometimes we need just the reminders. The reminders of the simple. Christ is the one who's going to build this church. Now, how does he do that? What does he use? Who does he use? He says, I will. From that, at that moment, he says, in the future... From the moment he's saying it, I'm going to build this group of people. I'm going to build this body. It's going to happen. And he says, I will continue, the the way that the verb is, I will continue to keep on building in the future my church. I would argue that if we're doing it the way that God intends us to be doing it, he will build us. Not just numerically, but strengthening us. Giving us deep roots that as we get deeper in him, our outreach goes wider and wider. That we will continue to follow after what he says. He says that this is my church, it is God's plan. The church is God's plan. He does not say, I will build my Christian school. He does not say, I will build my pregnancy center. I will build my Christian athletic association out in the. He doesn't say, I'm going to build parachurch organizations. He says, I will build my church. This is what God is intending to build and to strengthen, and we need to be about his plan. So I ask you, is God building his church? We've just went through missions conference. We've heard how he's doing it globally. We get excited about the way that we hear that, that, that all these people in India are getting saved and churches and norms got all these people, to pastors to be teaching because the church is growing. We hear about how people are getting saved in, in different parts of the world. Is he doing it globally? Yes, nationally it's a little struggle. Regionally, what about us? Do you truly believe that God is about building his church? If so, and I'm hoping that we're going to say yes, because God says it. If we believe the inspiration of Scripture, God says he's going to be building his church, then how does he do it? Pastor alluded to this this morning, talking about what are some of the ways that, that we embark in the area of evangelism. We do things institutionally, and we're going to continue to do things institutionally. We're going to be involved in still reaching out into the community and developing relationships with neighborhood night, with uh, the reenactment, with uh, canvassing in the in local area, with doing VBSs. We're still going to be institutionally reaching out into the community to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as a body of believers. We need to be about that. We need to be about the public proclamation of the gospel and that's what we as Faith Baptist Church need to be about. But there's also a personal dynamic. We can focus in on the public, but there is a personal dynamic and as person as a person, that usually fleshes itself out in two ways. Situationally, pastor alluded to that and talked about it this morning. The woman at the well was a situational evangelistic system m- opportunity. Jesus is walking through. He meets this woman in this one situation. It's probably not going to continue down the road. And he looks and says, "I need to be about sharing the gospel to this person. I have this opportunity, and it's just going to come out because this is a priority. This is a passion. There is a there's a, a an opportunity for people, a fulfillment. I was trying to think of the other p word. No, there's a whole bunch. There's a fulfilling aspect to sharing the gospel in situations. We need to look for those." Be praying on a daily basis. Lord, provide me with an opportunity to share the gospel because I want to be about the gospel. I want my life to be about replicating you in other people. And then there's relationally, where we are developing relationships with people. We're looking and saying, I need to be about developing relationships with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with my employers, with my people in my hobbies, in my uh, my areas of interest, building those relationships, not just to build a relationship, because a relationship does not save an individual, with the intent of bringing them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So how is God doing? He's using all those different areas, and we want to help you in those areas as we continue to flesh out where we are headed with our new uh, culture of evangelism and and making disciples, what I want that to to permeate our ministries, to look and say, we are going to be about the the gospel here. We are going to be about it in our lives. And how can we help you to do that? So we look through the scriptures, as Jesus said, I will build my church. It's coming to the end of his life here on earth. He's already died, buried, he's rose again. And before he's gonna ascend, he's going to give some last words. Last words are important. You could Napoleon's last words, conqueror of the world. Uh, P.T. Barnum had said that his last words were what were today's receipts. It reveals the heart of the person. And how does Christ end his last words to us? Not just to the disciples, for these words go and they come to us. Luke in Luke uh, chapter 24, he says, "We are all okay that that are involved here. The repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name to all nations, beginning from where? Jerusalem. He was talking to the the disciples in what city? Where were they at? Jerusalem, which was their home, their local area of ministry at that time." We are to be part. We are part of all nations. When it talks about that all nations, to, it's to be proclaimed, guess what? We are the fulfilling aspect. We are there. We are part of that prophecy that Jesus gave, that the, this gospel, that it's going to all nations and this is where it's going to go. We're part of that right now. We are part of the all nations and we are to be proclaiming the gospel. We are reminded of the importance of beginning at home. He says, Start it started in Jerusalem. You know he's going to remind us of that. In the other passages, they're all popping in your head that you know we're going to go beyond Jerusalem. But he says, start proclaiming in your Jerusalem. Since we are part of this ongoing fulfillment of Scripture, we must fulfill our mission by sharing the gospel. Jesus told the disciples to proclaim the good news to all nations. Well, now it has come down to us, and aren't we glad that it did? It has come to us and we must be proclaiming the gospel. Acts chapter one. It does, Luke, Luke finishes out his gospel and then he writes volume two in, Acts, in, in, in the book of Acts and he says in Acts chapter one and verse seven and eight and you're familiar with this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses where Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. You and I, are, by design, by direct commission from Jesus Christ, we are his witnesses. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, if, if the president came to me and said, hey, I want you to go and tell these people and be my, be my testifier over there. Okay, great. I mean, even in a small way. When when pastor says to me, hey, I want you to go do this, I'm like, all right, he chose me. He didn't choose Alan, he didn't choose Tony, he didn't choose Kim, he chose me. (laughs) Yeah, okay, and then I realized, yeah, it wasn't anything special. But there's just that moment when your boss wants you to do something, you're like, yes. Not just my boss, this is what my God wants me to do. He wants you to be a witness for him in Jerusalem and maybe around the world, but definitely in Jerusalem. We definitely have to be doing it here. The thrust of these verses is our present-day responsibility to be witnesses for Christ. Do you notice, like, right before it, in verse, in verse 7, where he says, don't worry about the, the, the when, when the Lord is coming back or the return, when the kingdom is going to— don't worry about the end time thing. He says, you worry about right now. Now, I'm not saying we don't have to worry about end times and prophecy, but they were so focused, he says, you know, you worry about your task at hand. Our task at hand is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot be content. I think this is, a, this is a perspective. We as a faith, as a church, we need to truly look at ourselves. We cannot be content sending people to the uttermost parts while personally neglecting our Jerusalem. To God be the glory that the sacrificial Sunday was amazing. And it was. To God be the glory that that missions conference, I loved it. The themes that ran through the missions conference about making disciples and about the the relationships and the investment into people, as we were sitting listening and knowing that this was coming up and this was the direction, we're like, wow, God is at work. God is doing amazing things around the world and we want him to do it here. But if we are just content sending and saying, hey, great, look at all the flags, the gospel's going out there, but we are not actively taking part in that, shame. Shame on us. And I need to be doing what Jesus Christ calls me to. Matthew 28. Let's, let's park over there for a second. This is, this is one you knew we were going to get to, I, I would assume. You know, as we, as we look at the gospel of Mark, Matthew, excuse me, Jesus is going to wrap it up in the gospel of Matthew. It was our, you know, theme verse up here. Go, make disciples of all nations. We are to look at Jesus' last words. And there's a difference here. Different than, there's a difference between the version that Luke gave and the, the uh, verse that uh, Matthew gives. Luke says, Go proclaim the gospel. But Matthew fleshes it out a little bit more. Because we cannot be about, and we do not want to be about, as we start laying out our direction of life here at church for the gospel. Our direction of ministry. We cannot simply be about just seeing people get saved because that is not what simply the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us to, Jesus' words say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's not just, hey, we get them saved, take them through maybe five or six, ten Bible studies, and then just send them on their way. We cannot be about that. We need to be about making disciples, investing in people, helping them to see one-on-one, having the time to say, this is what God is teaching us. This is what God's word says. How cool would it be? How amazing would it be if you could be sitting and talking to somebody and taking them through a Bible study and they're like, well, what does that verse mean? And you're just, oh, well, this is what it means. And you realize for the moment, I'm helping them to understand who Christ is. I'm helping them to see more fully who their Savior is. It's an amazing joy. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you long to experience it. And we want to help you in the next years to get on board with that and say, I want to be involved in it. How can we do it? How can we make it happen here at our church? Matthew is saying, hey, It's not just the proclaiming and it's not just getting people saved. We need to be about in our church making disciples, helping them to become more like Christ. Which New Testament commands are optional? So let's say Zach comes tonight and we get home and Zach, I go to Zach, hey Zach, go take out the garbage well, you know, it's a little stinky and a little messy and I really don't want to do it, Dad. Really? It's not an optional command. I told you to do it, go do it. So if, Jesus, if, you, if, your, kid, if your child comes to you and says, I don't want to obey you. We're going to go right away to oh, children, obey your parents. It's a command, you do it. You know, don't, don't be a liar. Well, I think tonight I want to be a liar. We don't look at God's commands as optional. Except for maybe this one to go, to make disciples. Or maybe it's we want to, but we don't know how. That's one of the areas that we as a staff, as a church, want to help in. We need to start developing, giving you the tools that you need to be able to make disciples, to be comfortable giving answers, to to go out, to to have workshops and classes that are going to help train you And we can offer those, but I want to encourage you to take them. Because if we offer them, but you don't take them, well, then I'm not, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. It's going to go together. We're going to have to work together on this. As we'll see from other passages of Scripture, that's our responsibility here, is to be working together so that we can share the gospel. Seeing someone saved enough, I already alluded to that. No, we need to be making disciples. Now, this term disciple, I filled in a lot of the blanks for you there. But when you do a history of disciples, and we'll probably come back to this at some time, the the Greek mindset, the Jewish mindset, because the Greeks started with a lot of the idea of disciple-making, that there was a matheteis, that there was somebody who was a learner or a follower. They followed a teacher. They would go to this teacher. They would subscribe to the teacher's teachings. They would do everything that they could. They were committed to their master. They would try and imitate their master. We even know about uh, people would try and learn to walk like their master. They would try to talk like their... I guess if I learned to walk like my master, I would try and figure out how close could I get to the edge of these stairs without falling off. You know, you learn to... What's that? It's Not a problem. (laughs) I got the wrong shoes on, they're slippy. Wow, that was Dutchy. Okay, Um, there's a devotion to their master. They say, this is the the person we want to follow and we're going to imitate them. The Jews, when they came back after the exile, adopted many of those similar practices that the Greeks had. They used the word Talmud. It came from the the Talmud. People were following the Talmud. They were learners, they were listeners. They had to have a teacher, what we call the rabbi. They would follow their rabbi. We know uh, historically the, the schools of Hillel and Shammai, and they would follow after those two different schools oftentimes, but they would follow after their rabbi, trying to be just like their rabbi, trying to, act, trying to propagate their rabbi's truth to other people. They had a deep commitment to them. They could not have had a Talmud, a group without a fellowship. There was a group of them who would stay together, and they would, they would minister to, together and work together at this goal. We can't go with this lone ranger anymore. We need to be about it as a church. We need to say, this is where we're going. We want to help you. We need you to be going. We need to be going, and we need to be working together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were expected to serve. Now, that Jewish mindset that we just talked about transfers even over into the New Testament, where they would, They would. you can go through all the verses I gave them to you, but You've somebody who's following Christ is a listener, they're a learner, they're obedient, they're mimicking, or they're following me. They knew what this meant because historically, when, when Jesus would look at the Jews or the, the, the disciples and say, Follow me, they understood that because they'd already seen it historically in the Jewish mindset with the Talmud and the rabbis and the, the eventual Pharisees. They saw what that was about. They knew it. But do we understand what it means to be a disciple? To look and say, I'm going to learn. I'm going to listen intently to what Jesus has to say. I'm going to be obedient to his words. I'm going to mimic him. And I'm going to demonstrate that to others. And I want to teach others that, as Paul said, as they follow me because I am following Christ, they are in the train of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We need to develop this culture in our church. It's our desire. As we talk and we look long-term, We need to be teaching each other, training to be about the gospel. What's interesting to me is it doesn't stop with just the gospels. The disciples we know. It's really uh, the the conference we were at with Pastor Tim Potter. He said it's an upside down philosophy. We tend to think in America if we get five or six hundred people coming in, coming in, coming in, we might get some really committed, devoted disciples out of all of that. But what did Jesus do? He took three, 12, 12 guys, 11 guys in the end. And what did they do? It just spread like wildfire. Why? Because they took his truth of making disciples to heart. They said, we are gonna be about the one-to-one evangelistic efforts of making other people disciples and helping them come along so that they can follow after Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, if you are a new creation, we talked about that at the beginning. If you're saved, if you're truly a born-again believer, You're a new creation. The old has passed away. All has become new. But look at what what God does. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled. He brought us to peace. He brought us to God. He reconciled us to himself and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation that we are to be about. We are given the ministry to help people be reconciled to God. That is, Christ was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, again, did Christ mess up? Did God do the wrong thing? He entrusted you and I with the message of reconciliation. He entrusted us with the gospel to go out and to be what? ambassadors for christ not just a messenger you are the one who goes with the authority of the one who is sending you you are the one who goes on behalf and as you speak you are speaking on his behalf i am an ambassador and god is making the appeal through us When we go out and we are sharing the gospel, when we are talking with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, when we're talking with the the kids at school on the bus, when we're talking to the the other individuals, wherever it may be in the, the sewing club, and we begin to make a proclamation of the gospel, we are ambassadors of Christ, and he is making that appeal through us. What a privilege. And yet, what a privilege that I have squandered. Too many times. Too many times have I looked in fear, and yes, I still get fearful. Pastor Kim and I were talking about it. There's still that lump in the throat when you go to, and it's like, all right, here goes. Because you, you know there's the potential of rejection. You know the seriousness of the situation. You understand where they're at, and you want to convey that truth to them. But too many times have I cowered in fear. Too many times have I looked and said, well, maybe, maybe down the road. I, I don't, if, I, if I do it now, it might be the wrong time, and if I, if I, then I might never have the opportunity to share the gospel again. And if I keep kicking the can down the road, and I've done this, I miss out on opportunities. We need to take those opportunities. We are to be ambassadors, appealing the message of Jesus Christ. Anyone who is a true believer in Christ We are divinely given the ministry of reconciliation. This is not Paul's just random writing. This is God's plan. God's plan for Lebanon County is for Faith Baptist Church and the other churches of like faith, but we're talking about us tonight. God's divine plan is for you and I to be about the ministry of bringing other people to Jesus Christ. Not bringing other people to Faith Baptist Church. Faith Baptist Church is not the mediator to God. Jesus Christ is the mediator to God. And we need to be about bringing people to Christ. Now, bringing them to church can't offer that opportunity because we are going to be about the gospel. But you and I need to be sharing that. Not only are we given a message, but we are sent as ambassadors. And he even says, the sinless Savior has taken our sins that we might be right with God. You say, I don't know what to say. Even that verse right there, this is what Jesus did. The sinless Savior, the perfect, the perfect Lamb, Jesus, took our sins that we could be right with God because we weren't right with him. It's a fabulous passage laying out a lot, and he's making a, an appeal through us to the lost. This is God's plan. God's plan is for us to be making, not just seeing people saved, but if we take that with Matthew 28, God's plan is for us to be going out, to be investing in people's life with the gospel, bringing them to Christ and discipling them, helping them on their journey to become more like Jesus Christ in the long term that they might be doing the same. Ephesians chapter four, pastor's been in this a lot. He gave to this church, God has given to this church, shepherds or pastors, teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. One of those works of the ministry is what we just read, the ministry of reconciliation. We need to be about not just helping you, how do you usher or how do we make sure that the music goes well or how do we get you involved in the sound room or the media room. One of the ministries that we have to improve on, that I have to improve on, is helping you to learn how to do the ministry of reconciliation. To know how to be a person who is out evangelizing. That is what I have to be doing so that you can go do the work, not just me. We can't look and say, well, we only had a few baptisms because the pastors stink and they don't do their jobs. You might think that, that's fine, that's, that's your opinion. Part of it is on all of us because we're not leading people to Christ. We're not developing relationships. We're not taking situations and handing out tracts and talking to people. We're just hoping that it will happen while we make it through and enjoy our church. We are to be equipping you for the work of the ministry. Believers, you definitely have ministry. We have a ministry. And as pastors, we have to fulfill our job, it is our responsibility before God Almighty to be training and equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And we want to be moving in that direction to help you. We're gonna offer workshops and we're gonna offer Sunday school classes and different opportunities to help train you, sending out video links and sending out different tools and saying, hey, read these books and do some of this. Why? Because we wanna keep you busy and as long as we keep you busy, we're godly. No, because as we help to train you, I truly believe that God will use you to reach someone to go out and be able to have that relationship with a friend and share the gospel and they get saved. Do I, that's what God calls us to do, but does God, does God set us up for failure? No, not at all. He wants us to succeed in this. Not so that we can say, look, Pastor Wayne has a huge church. Pastor Art's involved in a really big church. That is not the goal. The goal is simply to be able to be constantly training people to know Christ to learn about him, to disciple, to be discipled, to grow and to do it again and keep going forward and forward and forward. That is how we establish a legacy of Faith Baptist Church. That is how we have something for the next generation, for our children that is solid, that is Bible-based, that is teaching what has been taught before us, that we are, we are building on the foundation that has been established marvelously over the last 35 years. We must be about this. Note the results that he says. If we are doing this, he says, until until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God... There will be a maturity that's going to happen. That there will be, a, to the measure, the fullness of Christ, so that we're not tossed about by, by winds of doctrine and, and following after heresies, but we are grounded. If we are all continually helping each other and discipling one other person and being discipled by somebody else, and as we do that together, we're going to be shoring each other up. We're going to spot heresy a mile away we're going to know it, and we're not going to be tossed around. We will become solid. We will have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. It goes on, Second 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul keeps saying it. He says to Timothy, Timothy, who's a pastor, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to faithful men who will be able to do the same thing, to teach other people also. You notice that theme of teaching coming up? And a lot of, not just for the pastors, but also it's implied with the uh, discipleship. There is a lot of instruction that we are to be going through the scriptures and learning the scriptures. He says, Timothy, as a pastor, you're to do the work. You're to train somebody to do that work that you're doing. It's not so I can get out of work, because once I train you to do something else, I'm going to have somebody else to train. But we want to be training you to do that. Disciple making is a job that is never done, right. it is never complete. Because once I have discipled somebody, if I am discipling them and taking them through, I want them to be discipling somebody else. And as they're discipling somebody else, guess what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be looking for somebody else to disciple. I'm going to be looking and saying, who's next? Who's next? And as I'm discipling this one, I'm still going to be helping this one, encouraging them. But all of a sudden, we start to see how this can grow, how this can work. If if that happened with half of this congregation over the next year and a half, two years, we'd be like, we'd be using the entire balcony on Sunday nights. We'd be wondering what's going to happen next. Are we going to have to go to two services? Are we going to have to expand into another building project? And if we we look, honestly, if we look and say, that's one of the reasons I don't want to evangelize because I don't want to see a building project or because I don't want to go to two services or because I don't, notice who the focus becomes on? It's me. That's what I want. Not what God has called us to. We need to be about it. Discipling's never done. You are to train in what you have learned. He says, the things that you have heard of me, you entrust to others who will be able to teach others also. So one of the dangers of discipleship is that if everybody just starts teaching whatever they think, it can become an issue. So we are wanting to streamline. We're going to take time to say, here is what we're going to be teaching. Here are some of the the Bible studies and the methods that we're going to be using. We'll develop that over the summer and into the fall as we keep laying it out. We're not just going to throw it all at you at once. We're going to say, how do we do this? Because this is a a long-term perspective for our ministry, where we need to be going. Take what you have learned and train it to somebody else. Hebrews chapter 5. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer says, about this we have much to say. Now this follows in context right after he's talking about Melchizedek. Those of you, did, you get, did you get to it? You didn't even get to it this morning. So Pastor Allen's class, you'll get a little Melchizedek next week maybe. Um, he, it was right after the teachings on Melchizedek, which is a deep, meaty passage. And he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be training people. You ought to be investing in them. You ought to be telling them about what the Scriptures say. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles. People who once heard those, they need a reminder. And I think in this area of evangelism, I think we need a reminder the basic principles. And even beyond that, we need to be looking and saying, we as a, as a congregation, we need to get short up. Making sure that we are all on the same page when it comes to the truths of Scripture. To disciple one another. To have that opportunity to say, okay, what does the Bible teach about salvation? What does the Bible teach about eternal security? What does the Bible teach about the local church? About communion? And, and so on and so forth. So that when we go to disciple somebody else, We're all on the same page. We know these elementary, these basic truths that we can be sharing with one another. Believers, especially those who have been saved for a long time, should be able to teach others. We ought to be able to do that. And yet, how are we doing it? Training. Not just teaching in a Sunday school class. That is part of the disciple making ministry in in an institutional setting. But what about personally? Looking for that. Believers, it shows me that we can become lethargic and obtuse. I just, I like the word obtuse. Dull of hearing, it's like, all right, you know, pastor said we're going to hear evangelism tonight. All right, I'll show up. But, you know, know, I already know it. And I'm really, honestly, I'm not motivated to do it. We become, over time, we can become lethargic. We can become dull of hearing to the simple, basic truths of things we used to know and things we used to be passionate about. Believers who once chewed on the meaty truths of Scripture need to review at times the basic truths of Scripture. So we're going to be providing that opportunity to continually be going through the basic truths so that you can invest that into somebody else so that as they learn, they can invest that truth into somebody else so that as you're doing the basic truths, you're growing and strengthening and growing and strengthening. And it's an opportunity for us to, to grow. So as I was taking these passages, thinking about where does God want us to go, what can we summarize, I truly believe Christ is still building his church. He wants to build us. He wants us to build us internally to strengthen our resolve, to strengthen our spiritual might. He wants us to get deeper into his word as a body. But I also believe that he wants to build his church in numbers. Numbers is not evil. If my only goal is numbers, that's, that's another issue. But growing numerically is not evil. We ought to be looking to invest in, in lives of other people. The supernatural, natural method, the supernaturally natural method he has chosen is for Christians to be disciple-making. It's natural for his creation to reproduce. And yet he is supernaturally, in a divine way, chosen for you and I to be part of this process of making disciples. He wants to use you. And yet I believe we have bought into the, the, the lie of Satan that says, you're probably not going to be able to do it. It's so hard in America. It's so difficult. And yet the God of this universe is saying, I want to use you. I want you to be a part. I want you to maybe water to increase. I want you to plant seeds. I may give you the harvest, but I want you to be about this. Who's that? Who, who are we going to side with? I want to side with God. I want God to be using me like he says he wants to use me. The divine strategy of transforming the world for Christ starts with the solid home ministry. Right here. We want to see our missionaries succeed. We want to see missionaries go out from our church. We want to see other young men and young ladies as they're growing up through going out into ministry. I do. I passionately do. do. Well, that's going to start with a solid home ministry and about us going into our Jerusalem and demonstrating that here. We are the divine agents of the divine message of reconciliation. We love the idea. It's so popular in America right now, the superheroes and the super agents and the spies and the people who can do anything and go anywhere. I'm a divine agent. It's not 007. It's not 00 anything. It's just You and I are divine agents with a divine message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can take it. We can do it. We can go forward and we can share. We are sent with authority. Matthew chapter 28, he says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the ages. So when you and I go as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as his divine agent, with the divine message, guess what? He's with us. And not only is he with us, encouraging and strengthening us, have you ever thought about, we we talked in our bibliology class about general revelation. It's not, general revelation is not just nature, but it's also the human conscience. And the human conscience testifies to God, It testifies to the fact that that what the gospel says and what the Bible says is real. So that when you and I present the gospel to somebody, guess what? As much as they may suppress it, their their conscience is actually on your side. As you present the truth of the gospel, their conscience is pricking, it's working. Now, they can suppress that. We know that, Romans chapter 1, they can push that down. But God wants us to be about it. He is strengthening and enabling us, He is going with us as church leaders. We need to be about carrying out our ministry, our duty. That is what I want to be about. I want to be helping you do this ministry and I need your help to do the ministry. Working together so that as we're going out and we're sharing and we're coming back and we're strengthening and we're going out and we're coming back and we're working together, we can begin to see people getting saved, baptized, taught, discipled, moving forward. Our goal in our new evangelistic endeavor, disciple-making, we want to be disciple-making disciples. It doesn't stop. I wanna make a disciple and I want that disciple to make a disciple and I wanna see that disciple make another disciple and I wanna see that. And if if I make one disciple in my life, great. If you make one disciple in your life, great. But let's make some disciples. Let's begin to make this a passion to encourage disciples, we want to we do it personally, to be involved. I want to encourage you as a disciple to be personally involved in disciple making. To say you are going to do it through relational and situational opportunities. You're going to begin to develop relationships with unsaved people. If you have no relationships with unsaved people, there is a problem. We need to develop those relationships because it's not the safe people who need help of the physician or the, the people who are well. It's the people who are sick. So we need to be about making relationships with our neighbors, with our coworkers, and, and going out for coffee or spending some time getting to know them. Doing that situationally, taking tracks, looking for opportunities to say, I'm gonna look for opportunities. Someone says something about, about Christ at work and they ask a question about, what'd you do, what'd you do, uh, what'd you do this weekend? what you do? Oh, well, we went to baseball practice, and we—take the opportunity. Went to church. Heard a, heard a message on about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, really? What's that? Huh, door open. Let's take that situation and walk through it and share, share the gospel. Now, I know it's not always going to be that easy, but let's look for opportunities. We want to provide for you opportunities for disciples— to publicly be involved in disciple-making. We're still going to have events. We're still going to have institutional outreaches. We're still going to be doing Bible school and neighborhood night. We're still going to be doing that. But we need to start thinking. And as we, we've looked over the, the decades of our ministry, we've been good at times with the personal outreach. We've been good at times with the public outreach. And we want to say the strengths that we've done over the last three, four decades here, we want to bring them together and say, let's be about both. Let's be about personally and publicly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to Lebanon so that we can see disciples being made. We want to see individuals become disciples of Christ. That's one of my goals in this, to help disciples become more grounded in Christ, to train disciples in disciple-making ministry. I, I do not want to see us just simply say, great, we got them saved and you took them through a couple Bible studies and you just throw them out. All right, great, you're into, the, you're into the congregation, you're good now. That's not what we're going to be about. You wouldn't do that to your child, would you? Your child is born and, you know, after, after 12 weeks or 13 weeks of raising your child, you're like, all right, you're good to go. But yet the newborn in Christ will look and say, well, some of you might want to throw your kid out after 13 weeks, I don't know. But we wouldn't do that with, a new believer, why would we do that? No, let's be about taking them through and helping them through the, the difficult times and the struggles that they're gonna face. To see new disciples join our local church and to become uh, and to begin to make new disciples. That's where we want to be heading. It, it is very philosophical tonight, just looking biblically and saying, what is the Bible teaching us? Where do we wanna be going? But I, I wanted tonight to be about us as a body of believers, a core group here starting to get on the same page and saying, this is where we need to be going. And we can go this direction and God can use us and wants to use us to make new disciples. What does it look like? And we'll, we'll finish up here. Um, we, wanna, we wanna start looking and saying, we need to build relationships. And as we build relationships, we wanna turn that to conversation. Both of those things, relation and conversation, they're going to be done, obviously, relationally and situationally. That you as a disciple maker, you want, you want to start building relationships. You want to look for situations where you can invest in somebody and turn it to a conversation. Well, one of the struggles at that fir- first base, I always think baseball, sorry, first base. At first base, for some of you, you're like, I-, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. That's my responsibility. I need to work at helping you with that. Giving you materials, teaching you, and we're going to offer those things so that you can learn how to have that conversation with them. After there's, there's a person, maybe they get saved. You know, up here at second base, they get saved. And I think this is where a number of us maybe are. We've been saved, but we've never been grounded. We've never been given a foundation. But we don't want to stop with just simply, okay, great, I built a relationship. I turned it into a conversation, and that person got saved. No, disciple-making has to come full circle. It, we have to ground them, give them a foundation so that they can be assimilated into the body. And not just assimilated into the body, but into the culture of making disciples that they want to then start beginning to make a relationship so that they can turn it into a conversation so that they can then take somebody and and ground them in the foundations of God's word so that they can take their disciple and bring them around. And it just keeps going and going and going because the work of disciple making never ends. And we can do this and that's gonna be done relationally one to one discipleship you having the opportunity to invest in one person's life and really getting in and helping them to know Christ but it's also going to be done here with the church discipleship is not outside of the local church it is a local church aspect we need to be about discipleship here so what's next next week we're going to talk we're going to talk more in depth about the first phase first where we're going to go what we're going to be about but in order to prep us for that, in order to continually getting us on that page, this week, I want to challenge you to do this. Begin praying for a disciple relationship. Maybe somebody who you can mentor, somebody who you can start to disciple, to talk with them, your, your friends, your coworkers. You say, I want to I start building a relationship with them. I want to have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Lord, give me that opportunity. Start praying for somebody. Consider thinking through your relationships this week or maybe potential relationships and come back next week with at least one. At least you might have two or three or four or five people. You're like, I really this year want to build relationships with them. I want to share the gospel because I don't just want to build a relationship. I want to the, see them saved. Come back next week with at least one person that you can share the gospel with over this next year. So, we can then start laying it out and saying, This is what we want to do. This is where we want to go. And then I want to encourage you to take a track or two on your way out. You saw some of you already picked them up on the way in at the tables there. Take the track in order to prepare yourself this week for any situations that may arise for you to share the gospel. Have you ever been like me where you're like, Oh, I wish I had a track? Because we don't take them. You know, there's been four times over the last month I've counted them, I put tally marks on times pastors said, hey, on the way out the door, go grab tracks. If this many people here four different times actually went and grabbed tracks, guess what would happen to the track rack? It would be pretty empty, but we don't do it. We, we just look and say, well, maybe. in fairness, maybe you have some at home. That's fine. But let's intentionally grab some tracks and keep them with us this week and use it as a reminder, even as you put your hand in your pocket or you open up your purse, Lord, help me to pray for the lost. Help me to be about those who need to hear the gospel. Help me to, oh, wow, they're, they're really here. Can I give you that? Something that's changed my life. Can I share this with you? Look for those opportunities. So this week, as we just start on this endeavor together, be praying. Praying for people you can make a relationship with this year. And let's look to share the gospel even through tracks this week. God, I pray that you would help us to begin to prepare ourselves To be used by you. Lord, help us to know that you have divinely chosen us to minister to this part of the world. This is our mission field, God. So, Lord, I pray that you would help me, help each person here this week to have opportunities to share the gospel. And, Lord, help me not to cower away from it. Help me tomorrow as I have a a privilege to be with a good friend who's not saved. And all day with him. Help me to have the gospel opportunities to share with him. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our endeavors in the future to make disciples. Lord, thank you in a humble way that you've chosen to use us as your servants. Help us to not shirk away from that. Help us to be used by you. And Lord, help people to get saved. Help us to see those opportunities. Help people to come to know you and to grow and to become your disciples. In your name we pray, amen. All right, thank you so much. We'll see you next week.